When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Hello, welcome to another episode of Talking Tennis, the first serve at the US Open. It's me, Jack, and I'm joined by Mario. How are we doing, Mario? Hi, uh, everything is fine, thank you. What about you? Yeah, good, thank you. Yes, yeah, it's, it's been a pretty interesting day at the US Open, albeit maybe a, a few of the results could have been a, a little bit more exciting. But some of them were amazing, and I'm quite excited to, to dive into them. First things first, I think probably probably the most exciting one was uh, Ben Shelton defeating uh, Francis Tiafoe. Did you get, get to catch any of that, Mario? Um, yeah, it's been a very entertaining battle. Um, that's for sure. I've seen also very high, high quality of tennis uh, for, for most of the time. Mm-hmm. So I would say that it's been it's been pretty pretty good to watch as as a night session on on the Arthrash. Um The the most exciting match, especially in terms of uh, of the the score and uh, I mean also a lot a lot of the rally. It's been it's been really fine and Ben Shelton. Uh, what a story because at first. Uh, first semi-final uh, in, a, in a Grand Slam at this year's US Open. We know that it, he was already in the quarterfinal of the of the Australian Open, and then all the troubles he had uh, winning matches in in between these 
uh, these two big events. But if you are able to show up really well when it matters, it's it's already a good sign, regardless of. Um, uh, I would say that it's been a little bit inconsistent as a year overall, but uh, there's also been some kind of consistent when you when you look at his major results because reaching one final and one semi-final regardless of what's going to happen uh from now on uh, well uh we can of course judge uh his his season in a positive way we 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 will watch today for example uh, some player um thinking about rublev but we have also our other examples of players struggling to to get to that major semi-final and Ben Shelton finally doing it. Um, probably the draw was favorable, meaning that he was in the quarter, uh, in the most, most open quarter, uh, but he he also faced some some hell of players to, um, to reach the semis because beating back-to-back uh, Paul and Tiafo uh, it's a difficult task, and so credits to him for what he he did so far in this tournament. Absolutely, uh, loads of stuff to to flesh out there, Mario. First and foremost, I would say beating Paul and TFO back to back like that. He's definitely he's definitely a big stage player, yep. right? He definitely raises his level when the crowd are behind him. I do think. Winning, you know, maybe I don't think he won two matches in a row once in any ATP tournament he played between the Australian and, and the US. Yeah, it I, hasn't happened. I do think that's a little coincidental. I, I, I do think he's finding his feet a little bit. He's not that up and down a player, right? He's just, you know, a lot of the time his rally temperament's been found out, or it, it does feel a little bit coincidental that he lost that many matches. And I do think that he's not just like a, a god at the Grand Slams and then just, okay, all the other events. I do think it will start to level out very quickly. And next year, probably we'll see a top 20. In fact, he might already be in the top 20 with a couple of results like that, probably. Um, But you'll be flirting with the top 10 for sure. He is definitely the kind of player that could go on to do really good things with that kind of serve and that kind of flashiness to his game. I, I would say, saying all of that, Mario, I think the fact that this is one of his first US Opens and he's the youngster. He was the underdog in this matchup. He was playing with reckless abandon. He didn't really care, you know, almost in some of the shots. Certainly that set point in the third set where he just rifled this amazing forehand, returned down the line. TFO wasn't playing anything like that. He looked like the one that was kind of burdened, the one that had a lot of pressure on him, the one that should have been winning the match. And it kind of ended up being Shelton's for the taking, where it's Definitely not going to be Shelton's for the taking in the next match, obviously. You know, Djokovic is going to make him play over and over. Mm, yeah, I, I, I totally get and agree. Uh, before before the match started, I uh, I was thinking about a 50-50 matchup, but I can understand what you say in terms of the pressure because Tiafo, uh, for example, uh, was semi-finalist last year. Uh, and so he came into the tournament with that kind of pressure. But even, for example, if we think about, you know, Tommy Paul, uh, a lot of people were talking about him uh, because he played really well in uh, during the summer, uh, getting toe-to-toe against Alcaraz, beating him once, um, getting a, a, a 1,000 semi-final. Um, and Shelton, um, you know, probably also... Um, 
coming into the US Open with, uh, f- let's say, no, um, I don't want to say no confidence because I, I see that he is confident in himself and in what he does. But, you know, with lack of victories, uh, mm, could have also helped him a little bit in playing more freely, um, trying some, uh, you know, some kind of of great shots uh, and being able to to do the, to do those. But I also feel that uh, it's it's uh, a big part of himself uh, to play like that, uh, to to go for it. But um, at the same time, you see that. Um, it's not, uh, you know, it's not random what he's doing on the court. So there's a lot of, um, it's it's an entertaining player to watch. Uh, that's the first thing to say. But it would be it would be um, uh, not enough in my opinion because it also has to be said that he has a great, um, he's a great shot making. Uh, he. he He's great in approaching the net, for example, in that part of the game, uh, being aggressive when it matters, putting pressure on yourself. Uh, and this is uh, great, uh, especially against uh, th- those kind of players he faced. Uh, you know, mm, would be difficult to, to do the same against Djokovic in terms that probably Djokovic won't feel that same pressure uh, in the same way the other felt. Uh, and of course, is going to enter uh, the match as as a huge underdog, I would say, uh, because of various reasons. Uh, especially, for example, the fact that Djokovic is playing his thirteenth U.S. Open semifinal. Uh, um, but what to say? It's, uh, he played two amazing matches the, the, against Paul and Shelton uh, and and Tiafo. I really enjoyed watching watching them, and I think that he has the quality to stay up there. Uh, he belongs to this to these stages. You can you can see you can feel it when he plays, for example, on the Arthur Ashe. That he can he can belong there. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree with that, Mario. Hi to Jane in the chat there, just giving us a little shout out, Mario, saying howdy. Um, yeah, let's speak a little bit about Djokovic, and then I'll give you my two cents on the Djokovic Shelton matchup. Mario. Um, the Taylor Fritz match, that's now 8 0 in the head to head between Djokovic and Fritz. That is 18 2 in sets. So Djokovic has won 18 sets, Fritz has won two. The two coming in that Australian Open third yeah. round when Djokovic was a little injured. That is, what was the other stat I had? 32 return games won to 14 for Fritz in the head to head. It is not a great matchup. And I think the reason is that Djokovic exposes movement deficiencies in Fritz that other players aren't really able to. First and foremost, getting pretty much every serve back into play. I actually think Fritz's serve compared to Fritz, uh, Fritz's serve compared to Shelton, I should say, there is a big difference that could come to fruition in the semi-final. But I'll, I'll get on to that. Point is, Fritz's serve, he normally benefits from getting a pretty decent plus one, a pretty easy forehand on the next shot. Just didn't happen against Novak at any point during this match. Got in the talking tennis notes, Djokovic not at his best to beat Fritz. He didn't have to play his best. There was no reason to go past gear, you know, five out of ten 
he was pretty much just average match, easy as. Um, yeah, he was never troubled, Mario. Would you agree with that? Um, yeah, and I would say that uh, it's been pretty worrying to watch that. In my opinion, the set he played, he played worse. It's been the first one, which won 6-1. And then I think that second and third set, Djokovic played better. Um, and, and Fritz, especially in the third set, tried to uh, to get into the match also with the crowd. But um, he, it's been a bit sad then to analyze that uh, first set, Djokovic won 6 1, and in the end uh, of the match, it's, uh, it's the set he played worse, uh, in my opinion, at least. Uh, a, bit, a bit erratic, uh, not really, uh, you know, convinced with the serve. Um, and still he won the set 6-1 and, you know, I was expecting something a little bit different from, from Cincinnati in terms, uh, you know, I was thinking that Fritz going into the match, having suffered that, uh, that heavy defeat, 6-love, six 6-4, um, in Cincinnati, I was thinking about him, uh, Entering the match with, uh, you know, in a more gritty way. Um, yeah. But you're right when you say that Djokovic is fantastic in exposing his, uh, he, uh, you know, the um, the movement, the defensive part of the game, the athleticism, uh, and for Fritz it becomes really, really difficult. Difficult, and I was also thinking about. The differences in playing, for example, Djokovic and to play, you know, Alcaraz, which are the two uh, best players in the world right now. And I think that um, Djokovic likes a lot when he when he can counter punch in the matchup, which it it happens, for example, against Fritz, uh, against Sinner also, um, and probably. For those kind of players, it's it's less difficult to play against um, against Alcaraz because uh, Alcaraz can suffer a little bit when you when you have that rhythm from the baseline, and he he doesn't really like to do their counter punch work. Uh, in fact, Alcaraz prefers playing some, someone like Medvedev, which is a, an uncomfortable matchup, I would say, for Djokovic, for example, because it's it's literally the opposite. Uh, way you have to to approach the match against a player yeah. like Medvedev or even Zverev, for example, and a player like Fritz or or Sinner, which uh, uh, you know they really have these incredible uh, shot making abilities from the baseline, both forehand and especially the forehand, but also with the solid backhand, they're really going to high rhythm from baseline. But then. Um, Djokovic is, you know, he can just enter the wall mode, which is unbeatable in <laughs> in making that kind of, of work. And so then it becomes super, super, super difficult even to win a set. Absolutely, yeah. And especially for a player like Fritz, who isn't tested like that regularly on the tour, it does all just kind of come out in the wash when he comes up against a player like Novak. Uh, I'll finish my thoughts on the Djokovic-Shelton semi-final. I, I'm not sure. Am I getting a little bit of feedback through because I don't have headphones on? I might go grab some headphones just quickly, Mario, after I finish my thoughts and then let you take the, the reins for a bit. Um, so I'll, I'll let you know first, 
Djokovic, Shelton in a semi-final. The big question, does Shelton have a chance? I would say more so than most. There has been times in the past where big servers have gotten the better of Novak. You know, they've, they've ruffled his rhythm a bit and he's struggled to raise his level because he, I suppose he's under a little bit more pressure to hold serve than he normally would be. You know, he's not in every single return game. So Shelton does have a pretty good chance of, you know, kind of coming out there again, playing with reckless abandon, playing flashy shots for a set, serving well enough for a set. I do think, though, Novak, the experience is just way too much. Way too much. You'll know how to play in the longer rallies. There are still holes in Shelton's game in the longer rallies that Novak will be able to expose in higher-pressure moments. But, again, I do think the fact that Shelton's actually in with a chance full stop is quite big. There's probably other semi-finalists that would have zero chance against Novak. So... It could be a really exciting match. Again, just because Shelton's going to raise his level and play some crazy stuff at the at the pressure moments. But yeah, I still fancy Novak in four sets, Mario. Uh, do you want to give us your thoughts? I'm going to just step away to get my headphones though quickly. Okay. Give me a second. Yeah, no, I, um, I really agree with that. I still think that uh, Novak will, will make the difference in the end, but... Uh, I, I'm approaching that semi-final thinking that it, it can be a very a very good one and a very entertaining one uh, because um, Shelton has that um, ability to also shorten the rallies and to to get some kind of a surprise factor. Um, his serve is also is um, is superb uh, these couple of weeks. So. Um, I I can expect a very very um, a good match to to watch, even if I think that Djokovic in the end will prevail. Um, I would say that I am expecting, in terms of the score, uh, something similar to what happened for for Djokovic um, at Wimbledon against Turkac, probably uh, in terms of. In terms of the score, I'm, I'm meaning. Um, and I think that Shelton has uh, has a chance uh, at, at least to keep it close um, for, for most of the time because I, I, I see that he, he has those abilities that can, um, can make him winning games. Uh, I think also bother um, Novak a little bit because um, we also know that he... He is a fantastic returner, but sometimes he can get a little bit frustrated when his return game is uh, is not working as uh, as he would like. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, yeah, that that's what I I am expecting. That if I if I have to to make a prediction, uh, I I would say that it can be a five setter. But uh, but I don't think that Djokovic is going to lose this one. No, whatever happens. But a five-setter, Mario, I like it. Could happen, possibly. Right, I think uh, we've done a good preview of Djokovic-Shelton. We've talked about those quarters. Shall we talk about the other two quarters that went on on the women's side? I.e. Goff, Ostapenko and Mukova beating. It'll come back to me. It was somebody she beat really easily. Who was that again, Mario? Can't remember. I'll come back to me in a second. We'll talk about golf and Ostapenko first. Um, yeah. 
that's annoying me. I'm going to need to look it up right now. Carolina Mukova beat Sorana Tirstea, of course, the Romanian. Quite easy to forget, given Kirstea was playing her first Grand Slam quarterfinal in 14 years. It was a fair while. Um, yeah, let's talk about golf and Ostapenko. Obviously, that was a little bit of a damp squib. Ended up being 6-love, six 6-2. Six Ostapenko taking a yeah. fair while to even get on the board. Uh, Coco Golf, to be fair, right, first and foremost, Coco Golf as a matchup for Ostapenko. Very likely to bring out the worst in the Latvian if any player was going to do that. Osipenko obviously has won seven matches in a row once in her career, but it doesn't happen often because Osipenko is, no secrets here, very up and down, right? And if Goff, as a, an amazing defensive player, comes up against Osipenko in a quarterfinal of a Grand Slam, I did think from the start, I thought it was going to go three sets, to be fair, because Ostapenko would still peak for a while. But Goff was probably one of the worst matches, matchups she could have played, for sure. Uh, yeah, then the match, is, the match started with 20 point, uh, to five in, in Goff's favour. Um, and this, even if it's weird to, to say, because uh, we know that Ostapenko is amazing in reset and... But this, I think that he, it could have entered he, her head, uh, trying here to 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 go for more and for more and for more. But it wasn't the, uh, really the right day to um, to try that that kind of approach. And golf has been has been amazing in in being deep with her defense and to uh, you know she's an amazing mover on the court. And we can we can see this on the hard courts. She's great, probably the uh, I would even say the best one uh, right now. Um, yeah, Ostapenko said that she she had you know had recovered pretty well, but uh, to be honest, I think that. Uh, Goff really um, entered the match with uh, with right mindset, with the right um, game plan. Uh, Nostapenko went literally mad uh, in trying to any any possible way to um, overpower Goff, but uh, it wasn't just a matter of. Um, a matter of power and hitting uh, near the lines. The, when you play against golf, I think that you you need to have um, at least that kind of uh, of variety to uh, to mix the game plan a little bit uh, because he, he, she's in uncomfortable zone when she she has to uh, you know go deep with the forehand with the backhand uh, and to to do that kind of aggressive defensive uh, game plan. Uh, it's literally her comfort zone. And I think that this has made the difference. And also, we also know that how how well Goff is, is playing right now, that you have to uh, really to pick to to be able to, um, to have a chance against her. Um, uh, we, we've seen, but we've seen the difference um in for Kokogov to play someone like Wozniaki and to play someone against Ostapenko. 
uh, win Wozniacki, even if she's been really good in making the aggressive game for most of the time. But at times she started to suffer. Uh, she started to, to think a lot. Um, Ostapenko is not giving you that time to uh, to think and to to try to stay to you know uh, to attack, for example, with the forehand a lot of times, and so Goff found herself in the best possible situation for her. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Uh, Coco Goff's at her best when she's able to play kind of something between aggressive and defensive. You know, she's she's given opportunities to counterpunch from defence, but she never really has to keep attacking all the time. You know, she can let the other person overheat. Uh, and Ostapenko kind of played into that. One other thing I'd say about Ostapenko, you talked about the recovery time that Ostapenko had, and it, it wasn't much of a surprise that we saw the serve take a dip from the Schwantek match, because Ostapenko's serve generally has been a bit of a liability in her game. Um, so it, it wasn't too surprising when she came out the next day and it went from being this high to this low, basically. And because she couldn't find that first serve, she really didn't stand much of a chance. A lot of it's confidence with Helena and, yeah, that, that showed in, in that golf match. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Great for golf to get through, though come up against a lot of adversity this tournament. So a nice of her to get a nice, easy ride in the quarterfinals and hopefully should set us up for a very exciting semi-final. Because had Goff went in a little tired, a little nervous, I do think we could have seen not one-way traffic from Mukova, but something definitely a little more comfortable from Mukova. And now with both players probably close to their best recovery-wise and hopefully Goff not feeling too nervy, we should see a very, very high-quality matchup. Words from me first, I think, Mario, and then I'll hear your thoughts on the, the matchup between the, the two women. Obviously, Cincinnati maybe wasn't the best barometer for how they're going to play. Both players were pretty tired. Uh, Mukova, in particular, feeling pretty shattered after some tough matches in days before. Goff, even, as well, wasn't at her best. She gave herself a 6 out of 10 that day in the, the press conference. At the same time, we learned a few things about how the rally dynamics might play out. Mukova was able to pressure Goff's forehand a little more than other players just because she comes into the net so often. And Goff, conversely, was very good at making Mukova overheat. She made her play a few more balls than she liked to. Mukova generally a little better when she can play aggressive but doesn't have to play too aggressively, you know, to the level of like Sadalenka or Rabakina. So we did see Mukova start to spray a lot of balls. And I would say that's probably more what we're going to see in this matchup. I think Mukova will have times where she'll peak. She'll play really, really great forehands from the back of the court to pressurise Goff's own forehand. But overall, I think it's a level... I wouldn't expect her to sustain over three whole sets. So I do think Mukova will make it tight, but Goff will probably take it in a very tight third set, Mario. Uh, well, Mukova played 
at ridiculous level uh, tonight. Uh, it's a six love six three match in which um, prevailed the uh, the high quality, the high level um, from from Mukova. Um, I th- I think that the pressure will play the biggest role i- in the match. Uh, but I, I wouldn't say just for Goff because we know that she's uh, in the best moment of her career so far. Uh, so uh, now that, for example, Zviontek is out, uh, you know, we also have Sabalenka, but at least, um, you know, she she's uh, expected um, to, to make it to the final, at least from the local environment, uh, from the local fans that... That maybe can, you know, not rate Mukova as high as uh, we rightfully do, uh, and so she can she can feel that that kind of pressure. And also, I would say that also um, Mukova, because after the the French Open, uh, or having you know a, a second chance uh, so early. Um, it's of course super super important also because uh, she she came through a lot of injuries so um, uh, you know she should feel also the pressure of uh, using one of her chances um, I would say that in the end um, I I have a little bit of a sense that Mukova can prevail. Uh, in this one, if um, by you know playing aggressive in the way she she likes, uh, maybe in a decider or something like that, I'm expecting a pretty tough battle. But I have a sense that Mukova will prevail in the end. I like your thoughts there, Mario. There was one thing you mentioned there though that I would counter. I think Goff, I think Goff wins because of. I think Mukova will feel a lot of pressure. I think both women will feel pressure, but Mukova just as much as Goff. I know Goff, it's her home slam and she wants to do well, but we have to think about the fact Mukova is getting a lot of chances to win big titles and she's not quite taking them. She's playing at a high level in all of those finals. It's not like she's, you know, too, apart from the Cincinnati final, I guess she was quite tired, but a lot of the time, you know, she's still playing a high level, but it takes its toll on you. You know, you look at Maria Sakkari. Maria Sakkari's been in these yeah. semifinals over and over again. And it's definitely starting to make a difference. Uh, and Mukova hasn't quite shown that she's going to, you know, that's taken a toll yet. But I do think, you know, she's she's such a good player and she's got one title turning. Obviously, there's been injury woes in the past. But I do feel like the fact that she, you know, she has that looming, maybe she gets injured again next year. Maybe these chances... They're going to be few and far between while she's playing at the best level she can. I do think even if she manages to come through the semi-final, eventually it's all going to yeah. kick in and it will be very tough to, to overcome the pressure. Um, but it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's tough to call this one, Mario. I agree. So you're thinking Mukova. I'm yeah, thinking basically Goff, imagine, for example, uh, a Sabalenka-Mukova matchup in, in a final and compare the match to the French Open one they played. Um, probably this time most of the pressure would be on Mukova's side, while uh, in the French Open semi-final, I think that still was Sabalenka to to carry the the most of the weight um, 
of the pressure and i yeah i totally i totally get what you what you say and it's it's an important factor that's for sure because when you uh, especially uh, in her situation that she she hasn't able uh, to really came close in the past because also of a lot of injuries and all this stuff and now that she's close um, she's been close at the French Open, but even close in Cincinnati, talking about one 1,000 event, which is uh, another important stage. And right now, again, it's happening. Uh, yeah, uh, you, you're absolutely right. Uh, oh, sorry, I was on mute there. Um, it will be interesting, Mario, to see what happens from here on out. Obviously, we're, we're picking different players for the final on the top half of the draw. Do you think, though, Sabalenka is guaranteed to get through in the bottom. And I am I am more curious, who do you think the winner is going to... Do you think the winner will be from the top half or do you think the winner will be from the bottom half on the women's side? Uh, yeah, this, is, this is a very difficult question. But um, of, all, uh, of all the things we, we are saying, I am still giving... Even if the matches right now are um, are all difficult, uh, I would still give uh, Sabalenka a slight edge in every match she's entering in. Uh, even if, for example, we saw, for example, Mukova beating her twice uh, this year, um, both case in tight battles, but. Goff is playing really, really well, and you can feel that this is probably her chance. Uh, I would say that uh, that Sabalenka still would enter every match right now uh, with a slight edge over over the opponent. It, with that in mind, then Mario, how would you see a Sabalenka Coco Golf final playing out? Uh, would be would be the in, in in some way would be the best possible final because we're going to have the the most informed player of the moment against the soon to be number one in the world um, best player of uh, if she if she gets to the final would be she is already but would be by far the best player of. Um, in Grand Slams this year, because uh, the two semi-finals in at Wimbledon and uh, at the French Open, uh, the title got uh, at the Australian Open, and the eventual final. Um, I, you know, as as I said, I I I still would think at maybe fifty-two for uh, for Sabalenka and forty-eight for Goff. Um, but um, I also know that uh, right now um, Goff's shots are going much better than it was the last times they, they faced off each other. And this can make a difference because Sabalenka uh, can feel uh, more pressure during the rally. Um, even when serving, uh, for example, if her first serve percentage is going to be not... Uh, not high as uh, as expected. She can start feeling a lot of pressure from Goff's return, and this can probably cause her making some more double faults and trying to risk more uh, with the second serve. Uh, 
let's say that in uh, in my opinion I still have Sabalenka with a slight edge over everyone and so I'm sticking with this with this prediction but um, we are really talking about slight details and uh, because Goff right now is up there with the level with with all the things she has all what um, it needed to win this tournament. Yeah, my Pagula pick has aged pretty poorly after Madison Keys went out. And then Mario, who did you have? Did you have Sabalenka to, to win? In the title? my bracket, I have Sabalenka beating nice. Goff in the final. Nice. Okay. Well, I, I'll add my two cents now that my uh, horse is at the race. Sabalenka on a hard court. I don't think it's coincidental that her Australian Open run is the one where she made the title compared to her French and Wimbledon runs. I do think on a hard court, the serve's a little easier to consistently get on your spots, right? And same with the return. It's easier to control the return. You know, you've not got all these funny bounces off of a natural surface. And first strike tennis, serve and return, if Sabalenka consistently make that happen, then she'll win the title. Because in Australia... She went to the final. She played one of the matches of her life. She's been there. She's done that. She served unbelievable. Yeah. She has a she has a great serve, but I've never seen her serving like that day. Yeah. It was incredible. And I I, I honestly think she could do it again. I, I think Von Drosova is gonna be well, if she gets through Madison Keys, again, that's not a guarantee. She would prefer Keys in the semi-final. I'll say that much. Sabalenka. Uh I I think that Keys can can exploit Von Drusova if she has uh, some physical issues. Um, but we also know that Kiss can also enter the court super, super erratic and Von Drusova's, you know, ability with the lefty forehand and with her serve, uh, she, she can also, yeah, this should be a tough matchup for Kiss. But if Von Drusova is not 100% physically, I, I think that Kiss can have more than a chance. Yeah, of course, there was a there was a possible injury scare, right? She pulled out of the doubles with uh, Strikova, right? Her uh, doubles partner. So I, I do think maybe there's something slightly underlying. She's not pulled out of the singles, obviously, but... Uh, what about Chingwen? Wanted to ask you about there. Good question. I I want this to be Chingwen's moment, right? But I do feel like it's it's not quite yet. She has had quite an easy run to the quarterfinals. She was always capable of getting quite deep in slams. But honestly, this run doesn't tell you much about the kind of player she is. We always knew she had the power to over uh, overcome a player like Jabour. And then the other three rounds were pretty easy. And she still made a bit of a meal of them. She, she's got all the weaponry to be an amazing player, but she hasn't quite put it all together yet. So I do think Sabalenka wins this one, maybe even in straight sets. Um yeah, that's my thoughts, Mario. No, yeah, I, I have basically the same thought about this tournament. Uh, even if after a pretty rough season, especially in the first part, she is getting now better results, and you can feel that she's now she has started again to uh, to grow uh, with with her game. She she won finally a title, a WTA level title in in Palermo. Uh, on the clay, which is a surface that suits a lot her tennis, in my opinion, uh, because she she has this forehand with a lot of um, with a lot of spin. Um, 
she, in my opinion, she can be a, a fantastic clay court player. Uh, and then, of course, this run is still, you know, still getting to a major quarterfinal is not is no joke. Um, she she at least shows some consistency in in all the matches to uh, win the matches she should, even if with some some trouble in some moment. I'm thinking about the first two rounds, for example. Uh, so I would say that it's it's a good step also to you know unlock. Uh, an achievement and then maybe feel a little less pressure in the future events um you know yeah. we we know how how much is important for example imagine andre rublev getting into his ninth major quarterfinal still trying to reach the first semi i know that he always plays uh for example, this year he played Djokovic twice and now Medvedev, which is already a, a U.S. Open champion. But you enter this ninth major quarterfinal and you still have no semifinal. Um, and you must feel horrible entering the match, to be honest. I can't even imagine. Yeah, let, let's uh, use that as a little segue, Mario, as we talk about our picks for the, the men's quarterfinals, just to close. Hello, Narlan, in the chat. Um, we're going to talk maybe Rublev Medvedev first. What do you think, Mario? Any chance there? Obviously, everything you're seeing there, he's, uh, you probably think Medvedev's going to win. But does Rublev stand a chance? Uh, well, uh, he... no. <laughs> no, no. no I, I don't want to say no because uh, I... Um... We've seen that Rublev is kind of capable to um, to do at least in, in the in the two matches he won uh, things that were pretty uh, difficult to handle for for Medvedev. But if we analyze those wins, uh, the first one came in that amazing 2021 summer for Medvedev. But uh, there was a little bit of um, of drama going between Medvedev, the camera, the camera uh, yeah. he, he, his level went went down quite a lot in in a bit of inexplicable way, um, and then the ATP Finals, probably the worst version of Medvedev in the last four or five years, and Medvedev yeah. has been really really close to win that one as well. So I'm expecting, um, you know, I'm not expecting uh, not even a five-setter, to be honest. Even if I uh, I have great praise for, for Rublev, his qualities, his, uh, you know, uh, the way he works and the way he keeps having consistent results on tour. And she is high in the ranking also for that. She's just one win away from the fourth spot in the ranking. Uh, which he would be if he if he beats Medvedev today and reaches the semi-final. But I still think that um, that Medvedev should should prevail. And if he you know if he starts the match like he did against Deminor, I think that Rublev um, should be able, will be able, and should be able to take advantage of, uh, advantage of that and you know steal the set. Um, uh, but I still think that, uh, you know, if Medvedev plays higher than 70-75% uh, of his level, 
uh, he should win with uh, not many many issues this one. Yeah, I think that's absolutely fair and agree with everything you've said there, Mario. Probably going to be four at the most, four sets for, for Medvedev. I just wanted to say very quickly, the the matchup between Medvedev and Rublev from juniors. Have you ever heard that story, Mario? Yeah. Rublev, yeah, yeah. I'll just, I'll read a little excerpt of it before we move on. Rublev said that they used to play three, four game sets and played for about four hours. So obviously that's, he said it was like 10 minutes of rally, basically. They were lobbing each other. That would go on for about three minutes of lobbing and moonballing before they'd throw the rackets and cry. Then they'd play another point for 10 minutes and Medvedev would start screaming at everybody that he saw. <laughs> it's a very funny story that just says like the two of them were <laughs> brought out the worst and the best of each other because they were like best friends. But when they took to the court, it was a <laughs> apparently... Yeah, of course. <laughs> and it should be because if, if it's not like that... Uh, they wouldn't be both so so high in the ranking far in these tournaments. You you have to be uh, you to have that hunger. <laughs> if not, it becomes impossible to uh, you know to to get to to these results. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so exactly. when you step on court, it's it's basically impossible to think um, about. Uh, other things than just winning the match and beating uh, the opponent. Uh, but I, I like that thing about Medvedev that even when he he enters his mode and starts, you know, saying his infamous quotes and um, he starts to get nervous, something like that, I you can still feel that he feels a lot of, you know, respect for, for all the, the opponents. Um, yeah. It's yeah, we saw that beef against uh, Tsitsipas that went in in the earlier years. But overall, uh, he he still is even if he with his moments of frustration and um, you know when he's complaining about something and he still remains um, respectful of of the opponent. And I really like this. Uh, yeah. Because he can, he can, he can be true to himself the way he is, um, you know, to his personality, but still not getting past that line of getting disrespectful towards uh, towards the opponent, which is for me a very important thing in tennis. Yeah, good way of framing it, Mario. That's very true about Medvedev, and, and same for Rublev as well, who obviously has his moments on court. Um, hello to Srihiri and Jeffro in the chat, by the way, just giving us a little shout out there, Mario. I think we'll close on Alcaraz Zverev just before we, we, we close up shop, Mario. Who do you think is winning that? Does Zverev have a chance? Obviously, the head-to-head is 3-2 in favour of Zverev. He did win their only other Grand Slam meeting at the French Open, of course, last year. I do think it's a better matchup for Zverev than it is for most because he is able to kind of camp a little bit and, and go big on the backhand just to trouble Alcaraz a bit. But I do think Alcaraz, even since the French Open last year, has developed as a player. I do think Zverev will give him, as you say earlier on, Mario, as you said earlier on, Zverev will give Alcaraz the opportunity to play aggressive, right? And I do think that will play into Alcaraz's hands. And even if it's close, it should be Alcaraz to win. Do you feel the same way, Mario? Um, yeah, I 
I still would say that I'm not expecting anything similar uh, to that Madrid match. Mm, to be fair, uh, I am expecting uh, I am expecting a tougher battle than mm-hmm. that one was because Zverev improved his condition, his confidence in his his game a lot uh, through through that moment. Um, uh, yeah, I would say that. Uh, even if um, probably this is not as uncomfortable as, for example, it, it is for, for Medvedev as a matchup, uh, but still Zverev can, can suffer if, she, if he, uh, you know, makes Alcaraz do, uh, do a lot. Um, for example, that French Open meeting, uh, um, Alcaraz felt too much the pressure he he was doing the, the game, being aggressive, but he was mistaking a lot, especially at the beginning. Um, and, and Zverev took advantage of this, you know, also, let's say, lack of, uh, of experience of how managing the pressure on that, uh, on those big stages. And so the first two sets, uh, he, he really made... Um, Really made Alcaraz missing a lot of balls and take took advantage of that. So I'm expecting, uh, um, well, let's say that I'm expecting something similar to uh, to that match, but uh, the opposite in terms of the score. Uh, so I, I'm expecting a, a four set win for for Alcaraz because I think that Zverev will play at a quite good level because he uh, he's showing uh, great. You know, great consistency and a very good level in this um, in this last few few months. Uh, but I still think that in in the crucial moments um, of the match, uh, Alcaraz will be able to um, to make something more, to take himself the responsibility to do something more. And uh, usually, he likes when he 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 is able to to do that, uh, which yeah. is not against every player, and this is why, for example, some players are uncomfortable for for him to to face. I think that Zverev can can be beatable from that point of view by Alcaraz. Yeah. yeah, I'll just I'll close with just a little stat on Alexander Zverev um, just before we finish. Do keep in mind this is the same player that played. 13 top 10 players at Grand Slams and lost all 13 matches. Before he beat Alcaraz at the French, he won a second against Sinner a couple of days ago. I do think that in five sets over the long haul, Zverev's weaknesses do tend to come out a little more than in best of three when he can you know, kind of cover up his second serve, where he can maybe play a little bit more aggressive for a shorter period of time. I do think in five sets, Alcaraz is definitely the safer bet um, and will be able to expose their second serve, which we've seen kind of get pulled apart in the bigger matches. Mm, Yeah, but um, I would also say that... um, Let's say that... uh, Zverev also had a lot of issues in handling the pressure uh, at the beginning of his career to be like one of um, the chosen player to to make this generational change. 
and in the Grand Slams he had a lot of um, issues from that point of view, which uh, of course he's mm, uh, not having anymore because uh, you know mm, all the tennis world changed in uh, changed a lot from 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 that from that point. Uh, yeah, Zverev was uh, was feeling uh, too physically in that match against Sinner. Uh, but for me, it would also depend um, from from the conditions of play. Um, if the condition would be that uh, that humid and that brutal as it was in match against Sinner, yeah, I would say that it would be an advantage for. Uh, for Alcaraz, but I still think that even if uh, Zverev was feeling and making you feeling that he was feeling the uh, the tiredness, I think that he was physically quite fine, to be honest, he, in that fi- uh, fifth set against uh, against Sinner. So, um, I would say that the the tactical um, point of view will be more. Uh, important than the than the physical one, at least if he has recovered f- properly from from the match against Sinner. But mm, I would think yes, to be honest. Okay, and if if, if Tats goes the the way you're going, Mario, I still think Alcaraz should have the advantage in maybe four tight sets, definitely. On that note, Mario, I think we'll we'll close there. Right, that was a good episode. Thanks very much for joining me. Hope you enjoyed uh, it. Yeah, thank you. I always uh, I always like to talk to you. So it's it's a great pleasure. And thank you to everyone who listened. Yeah, thanks everybody in the chat. As always, uh, this has been Talking Tennis. Catch everybody very soon. If you enjoyed this video, make sure you hit that like button. Don't forget to subscribe and click that notification bell so you don't miss out on all things tennis. Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.